are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot, or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. The Creator, which came out in 2023. It was directed by Gareth Edwards. It stars John David Washington, Madeline Una Voiles, Gemma Chan, Alison Janney, Sturgill Simpson, Ralph Innocent, Amar Chada Patel, Robbie Tan, Michael Esper, and Ken Watanabe. The genre would be sci-fi thriller. Whatever's in there, they're sure worried about someone getting in. Yeah, we're getting out. If someone had told me that James Cameron had written and directed this, I would find it very easy to believe them. This future sci-fi sort of lone wolf and cub action adventure has literally got anything you would expect from the Cameron oeuvre. Among them, themes of humanity corrupted by advanced technology. In this case, a future war between humans and artificial intelligence spawned by an AI ship nuking an American city. Also, the central protagonist, Joshua, played by John David Washington, starting out as a soldier on a mission, but gradually turns against his employers, who eventually start to hunt him down, along with, another aspect, a true innocent, who becomes the premier hope to save his, her, its, underclass of society, which in this case are AI individuals. I'm referring to Alfie, who was the latest creation of AI in the form of a child, played sympathetically by Madeline Voiles. Also, muscular action and spectacle featuring an impressive array of future tech. Gotta have that. One other thing, a tragic past for our hero centering on his one true love, who's Maya, played by Gemma Chan, whom he lost tragically. This is all recollected either via flashbacks or back to future tech through small credit card-sized video viewers, which provide our hero an instant platform to be able to stare longingly at past images of her. This is important. Also, dialogue which is often touchingly sincere, but also very on the nose when it comes to laying out exposition. And I say this as someone who still loves most of James Cameron's movies. This kind of dialogue goes all the way back to the beginning with The Terminator, when we heard Reese utter the following. I came across time for you, Sarah. I love you. I always have. And finally, a generally satisfying resolution featuring well-crafted action, a key message which has been beaten to death by this point, and some earnest emotion. What's heaven? It's a peaceful place in the sky. 
Now, to be fair, James Cameron himself did not actually invent any of these things. He just took them successfully to the next level with the largest budgets plus the most advanced technology at his disposal. And director Gareth Edwards kind of follows that path here, albeit a bit more messily. And that's probably where this version of this story falls the most short. You see, this is a film very wrapped up in spectacle and ideas, not so much characterization. The screenplay co-written by Edwards and Chris White is generally well-structured with a solid mix of expositional and heartfelt dialogue. She can stop it. She's not ready yet. The range of her powers are still growing. But if we can get her up there, maybe she can destroy it. How could anyone survive that? She won't. But it will turn the tide of the war. We generally understand the stakes of the story and how each major character fits into the narrative, but the motivations generally feel surface level, and I just did not feel a strong connection to anyone on screen. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like John David Washington as an actor, and I generally enjoyed the goofy charm and physicality that he brought to his performance, but he's just not given enough to do here beyond some first act anguish over the loss of his wife. I get why he was going to such lengths to protect Alfie, but I just was not always feeling it. In those ways, this film very much resembles the two previous big genre outings from this director, Rogue One and Godzilla, which came out in 2014. Movies which look and sound fantastic, featuring a great sense of scale, along with very effective world building. There are just some balls-out set pieces and moments from those movies which truly dazzle me. There's Godzilla unleashing his atomic breath. There's Vader wrecking shop in that hallway at the end of Rogue One. And the creator has some standout moments like those as well. But from a character standpoint, both of those previous movies also left me very cold. Felicity Jones playing the lead in Rogue One and Aaron Taylor Johnson playing the lead in Godzilla. Both movies respectively. If you ask me of even one interesting thing that these folks said or did in those movies, I would be at a loss to recall it. This is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. Now, for the creator, Washington, and especially Voyles, they're a slight improvement over those other two movies. They have a couple of tender or funny moments, but just really not enough to really grab you for the entire runtime. Come on. Come on, little Sam, get in the car. Hey, it'll be fun. Like cartoons, it'll be, it'll be fun. Okay, so like a game. Hide and seek. I'll drive fast. All right, let's go. It'll be fun. Ah! Right? Come on. <laughs> This is hella fun. This is why don't you want to get in the car? It's a lot of fun. Get in the damn car. And this brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film because music is essential to film. My favorite composer, The Zim. He comes through again with a strong orchestral score for this epic. I'm, of course, referring to Hans Zimmer. And with this score, he has crafted a soundscape which certainly resembles past epic scores for films that he has done, like Dune, 
The Lion King, and for me, the closest comparison is probably to his bombastic organ-based score for Chris Nolan's Interstellar. Now, while the score for The Creator isn't quite as loud or organ-heavy as Interstellar, there are points throughout the soundtrack where you do get that spiritual vibe, and those were undoubtedly the highlights for me. There's one point towards the end when our heroes finally personally encounter the titular creator. Well, sort of. And I'll just leave it at that as this film just came out. This is a lovely track fittingly called Prayer. brings me to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now, while I generally enjoyed the two main leads, I have to admit that I would have liked a bit more from the villain. I understood the purpose of Allison Janney's Colonel Howell, who is apparently the story's main villain. And the recent Oscar-winning Janney does the most that she can with the role, including pulling off some shifty action beats whenever necessary. But did I feel much in the way of menace, fear, or tension from the appearance of her character? Well, not really. She, like everyone else in the cast, including solid performances from Gemma Chan and Ken Watanabe doing what he does best, they all do what they were hired to do, but nothing more. And beyond that, disappointingly, Jenny's colonel does not even really make it to the final climax. So, not really there. Shipley, it's Howell. Answer the phone. Shipley, I know you're there. Colonel! Taylor, where's Shipley? I'm with him right now. He's in, he's in pretty bad shape. All right, listen to me. Did you locate the weapon? Yeah, it's here. I'm with it. Describe it. It's a kid. It, it's, it's a kid. They make it into some kind of kid. It, that, that's the weapon. What? Colonel, I can't reach you. You have to bring it to me. Do you understand? No, Shipley can't move. I mean, he's, he's not looking good at all. Police are everywhere. I don't know how I'm getting out right now. I, I don't even have an extra strategy right now. Then you know what you have to do. Kill it. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. Now about that future tech. What we see runs the gamut from massive armored vehicles leveling seaside villages in their path to goofy-looking yet effective running bombs, literally barrels of explosives with arms and legs. And these are executed way better than I would have thought possible. These are just a couple of the threats that our two main protagonists have to counter in their mission. And both forms of future tech are prominently featured in what is likely my favorite sequence, which occurs roughly about 90 minutes into the movie. Both Joshua and Alfie are now being harbored in a very scenic seaside village in New Asia, that's what they call it, where they are now aligned with a small but heavily armed band of AI and rebelling humans who are aligned together and can take them to the eponymous creator. 
The sequence pretty much kicks off with Howell's army plowing into their village with those giant futuristic bulldozers and culminates on a bridge. They've come for me. I have to help. There's nothing we can do. I have to help. Alfie, we gotta go. And what's great about this sequence is that despite the large-scale action taking place, Edwards is always taking us back to ground level. Our heroes and their allies are now holed up on one end of this small bridge, and all they can see on the other side is mainly smoke. And this band is led by Watanabe's Harren, humans and robots just facing out into that smoke, armed and ready for anything coming from the other side. And what do we see but these fast-running robotic suicide bombers, just barreling, pun intended because they're basically barrels, towards them. Like I said, these things look pretty goofy at first glance, but the closer they get, the more you realize the stakes of what's about to happen. Our protagonists aim sharply at the first one barreling down, and they take it down before it can detonate. But then another one comes. Uh-oh, just a very inventive, intense action sequence. And that brings me to the final category, and that would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Overall, I still enjoyed this movie. The screen is almost always filled with a memorable mix of impressive scenery and intriguing technological detail. All of this was filmed on location throughout Southeast Asia, resulting in several gorgeous vistas seamlessly mixed with convincing visual effects displaying machinery plus AI robotic figures inhabiting this world. Beyond that, the AI robots are often quite human-like with regards to how they move and interact with each other. It just all looks so uniquely epic and intimate at the same time. No small feat. And major props have to go to cinematographer and recent Oscar winner for Dune, previous episode Dune Part 1, Greg Frazier, who after this, his work on The Batman, Rogue One, and Zero Dark Thirty has become the go-to guy for visualizing large-scale action on the big screen, as far as I'm concerned. Frazier is undoubtedly the standout here, along with up-and-coming co-DP Oren Soffer, stepping up for his first big-time gig here after cutting his teeth on short films and smaller projects over the past 10 years. From interviews, I have the impression that basically Frazier was the lead DP, while Oren Soffer was basically his understudy learning under him. And I've said it before, and I will say it again. Movies are a visual medium. And when a film just looks this good above all other aspects... You just take notice. And this is not the first time for this guy either. No, this is a repeater. As he did for previous episodes, The Batman and Dune Part 1, Greg Frazier is the MVP. My rating for the creator would be three and a half stars out of five. And make no mistake here, even though I feel as if he still has room for improvement when it comes to writing characters and drawing performances from actors, what director Gareth Edwards pulled off here is still admittedly impressive. This movie cost around $80 million to produce, and it looks significantly better than most big-budget tentpoles nowadays, which cost more than three times that amount. What results is undoubtedly the best bang-for-your-buck delivery of spectacle since previous episode and Indian Smash RRR. You see, Hollywood, you don't have to spend 100 or $200 million to make a great-looking movie. You just don't. 
Those two movies are proof positive. And if you're looking to watch The Creator, it is now playing in theaters. And might I recommend seeing it on the biggest screen possible. And that ends another Cameron-esque review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.